Can we turn uh, again in our Bibles to Second Timothy chapter 2? And we're going to read from verse 1 of the chapter. Uh, second uh, epistle of Paul to Timothy and to chapter 2. And we're reading from the first verse of the chapter. Now therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself in the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. And if a man also strive for masteries, yet is he not crowned, except he strive lawfully. The husbandman that laboreth must be first partaker of the fruits. Consider what I say, and the Lord give thee understanding in all things. Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel, wherein I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even unto bonds, but the word of God is not bound. Therefore I endure all things for the elect's sake, that they may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. It is a faithful saying, for if we be dead with him, we shall also live with him. If we suffer, we shall also reign with him. If we, we deny him, he also will deny us. If we believe not, yet he abideth faithful. He cannot deny himself. Of these things put them in remembrance. Charge them before the Lord, that they strive not about words to no profit, but to the subverting of the hearers. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. But shun, shun prevain and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness. And their word will eat us as doth a canker, of whom is Hymenaeus and Philetus, who concerning the truth of erred, saying that the resurrection is past already, and overthrow the faith of some. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his. And let every one that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also wood and of earth, and some to honour and some to dishonour. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honour, sanctified and meet for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work. Flee also youthful lusts, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace, with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. But foolish and unlearned questions avoid, knowing that they do gender strifes, and the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves, if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil, who are taken captive by him at his will. Amen. We know the Lord will add his blessing again to the reading of his precious word. I'm going to uh, take uh, verse 8 there 
as my text this evening. Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel. Let's just unite together in a word of prayer. Our loving God and our gracious Father, we turn to thee in our Saviour's precious name. We thank thee for the word of God here. We thank thee for the uh, message of life and salvation. We thank thee that, uh, uh, that those that turn to thee will have life eternal. And we rejoice in that message that comes through clear and plain to our hearts from the precious word of God. And we pray that thou wouldst use thy word even to the salvation of the lost tonight and that thy name might be exalted and glorified in the midst. For it's in Jesus' precious name that we'd ask these things. Amen. In the portion of Scripture, Paul says to young Timothy here, remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel. He also uses that phrase about my gospel in Romans chapter 16 and verse 25, and in Romans, Romans chapter 2 and verse 16. In Romans 2 and 16, God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. Now, I want to clear that phrase about my gospel just before we go on, because uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of those that try to uh, say that God, Paul's gospel was different from the gospel that the Lord Jesus preached. There are those that come and they are opposed to Paul and all that he had to say, and so they would regard him as a usurper and that he came as a deceiver in some way, and so he preached some other kind of a gospel. Uh, people who say that forget that Peter and others of the apostles uh, wrote in their epistles that what Paul had to say was the very word of God. But there are even evangelical Christians, who uh, good people who would say that the my gospel, Paul's gospel, was different from other gospels. I wonder if you've ever heard people saying that there's a distinction between the gospel of the kingdom and the gospel of grace and the glorious gospel and the everlasting gospel. And they say that these are different gospels for different ages or di different di dispensations. And we happen to live in the day of grace when the gospel of grace is proclaimed, but there are other gospels for other times, and Paul preached uh, the gospel of grace, but there are other gospels for other times. But I want to say today that the Bible has one gospel. We think of how 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4, defines the gospel. He said, For I delivered unto you first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. And it is the scriptural gospel that we want to proclaim today. Now, the gospel is not just concerned with the cross. You uh, have a great emphasis in today's evangelism on the cross. But I think that when you read the Word of God, you will find that the apostles and those that went out to proclaim the word of God had a great emphasis also upon the resurrection. We said this morning that when the Lord Jesus had been risen from the dead, 
that the message to the man, the, the man who walked on the road to Emmaus was Christ is risen. The message to Mary Magdalene was Christ is risen. The message to the disciples who were behind closed doors was Christ is risen. And the message to us today is a message that emphasizes that there is life and life eternal through the Lord Jesus Christ. Someone has said that the record, uh, uh, the Gospels are the record of the redemptive event. The book of Acts, we have the redemptive experiences. And in the epistles, we have the redemptive explanation. And you think of how the word of God unfolds all of these things. And we come today and we want to proclaim a risen Savior. We want to proclaim one who has conquered death and hell there on the cross of Calvary. And that up from the grave he arose with a mighty triumph o'er his foes. And here's Paul writing to young Timothy. Timothy is the young pastor of the church of of Ephesus. And this is the days of the emperor Nero. And they're days of persecution. And they are days when the the children of God were under persecution and under very great strain. And he's wanting to know, because Paul knows that in a very short time, he's going to leave this scene of time. And he wants to encourage young Timothy. So how is he going to encourage him? Is he going to give him some philosophical message or some method by which he can win the lost? No, he directs his attention to the resurrection. He says, remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel. And that is the message that he wanted to bring. And that's the message for you. It's the message for God's people. We need to remember the resurrection today. And if you're not saved in this meeting, I want to point you to a living Savior, one who's at God's right hand, one who's ready to receive you and bring you unto himself. And thank God today that he's able to take those that are down in the very depths of sin. He's able to lift you out of that horrible pit and from the miry clay. And he's able to set you upon that rock and establish your goings. So today, we want to remember the resurrection. We want to remember the risen Savior today. And there are just some things that we should remember as we think about the resurrection here this Sunday evening. And first of all, I want us to remember the evidence of the resurrection. Paul said to Timothy, remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel. He states it as a fact. There's no question about it to him. Of course, there were many eyewitnesses still in that day. When When Paul wrote this, there were many people who had seen the resurrection, who had been in Jerusalem at the time of the resurrection, you remember that there'd been above 500 brethren and others that had seen the risen Savior and had beheld the events, and they could step in at any moment and say, well, Paul, all that you're writing there is a lot of nonsense. If it had to be nonsense, there was something that they could have done, but nobody did because he was able to state it as a fact because it had actually happened. 
You know, you come to this time of the year and you get uh, many documentaries, particularly on the uh, National Geographic Channel, and they want to run down the Bible stories and they want to undermine what the Bible has to say. And when we state that Christ is risen, when we talk about a resurrection, it is something that sounds ridiculous maybe to modern ears. You think of the bishops of the Church of England, and there are many of them that do not even believe in the resurrection. But the resurrection is actually the best attested fact of history. And we remember the evidence of the resurrection. For example, tonight we remember the prophetic evidence. You will notice that in the text, Paul said, Lord Jesus is described here as Jesus Christ of the seed of David. Now, why does he use that title? Why is it not Jesus of Nazareth or Jesus uh, the Savior? It's Jesus Christ of the seed of David. Well, here he is, and he's trying to encourage Timothy, and he's reminding Timothy, really, by that title, that the Lord Jesus Christ was actually the Messiah, the one whom David had said would come, the one who was of David's lineage. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 12 to 13, we read how the Messiah would come of the seed of David. It says in 2 Samuel 7, verses 12 to 13, And when thy days be fulfilled, he saying to David, And thou shalt sleep with thy fathers, I will set up thy seed after thee, which shall proceed out of thy bowels, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And we think of this everlasting kingdom that was to come out of the house of David. And again in Psalm 89 and verse 29, we're told of David, his seed also will I make to endure forever, and his throne as the days of heaven. So David, or Paul here is reminding Timothy that the Lord Jesus Christ was the true fulfillment of that prophecy. And we think of the many Old Testament prophecies that point to the time when the Lord Jesus Christ would come, point down to the very day. Daniel points us right down to the very day when the Lord Jesus Christ would die on the cross. We think of the town that he would come from, the place where he would live, the way that he would conduct himself, and his death on the cross, the suffering servant there in Isaiah chapter 53. Hundreds of years before all of these prophecies were made, they seemed contradictory. How could he be born in Bethlehem and be called the Nazarene? How could these things take place? And yet the Lord Jesus Christ, fulfilled every one of those prophecies. It says in Romans chapter 1, verses 2 to 4, Paul points out that Christ had been uh, promised before by the prophets. And then he says this about the promise, concerning his son Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh, and to be declared to be the son of God with power, according to the spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead. And it is the resurrection that really points to the fact that our Lord Jesus Christ was the one who was fulfilling all of these things. There were others in that day that claimed to be the Messiah, 
but here is the stamp of God's authenticity upon it. This is the uh, voice of heaven saying, this is my beloved son, hear ye him. But not only is there the prophetic evidence, but there is the practical evidence. I want you to think about the four Gospels uh, as the historical evidence that we have here. And we think of all of these things and the description that we have of the resurrection is so restrained. You know, you think about the resurrection, and there's no attempt by the gospel writers to describe how exactly the Lord Jesus Christ rose from the dead. There were later spurious gospels, like the gospel of Peter, so-called gospel of Peter, and they go into great detail about how the Lord actually rose from the dead and how the stone rolled itself away from the tomb. And they begin to describe all of these things, and they are spurious gospels. But you know, the true gospel just relies upon the eyewitnesses. It just relies upon what the people actually saw. Really, you have something of the scientific method here. They are just relying. It is like a courtroom. It gives what they saw, what they experienced, what they heard. And that goes to show the authenticity of the accounts that we have here. It says in Acts chapter 4 and verse 33, And with great power give the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, and great grace came upon them all. This is what the apostles preached, and the early Christians proclaimed, and there is a proclaiming of that which they absolutely believed. This is what they stood upon. And it wasn't that they were proclaiming that he had gone to heaven and lived in that sense. There are people that say Elvis lives today, and they just mean that his spirit or his music or his influence lives on. That's not what the gospel writers were saying. They were actually saying he bodily rose from the dead. We saw him. We witnessed him. We were able to touch him. We were able to speak to him. He really is risen from the dead. The tomb was empty. And my, what a wonderful thing it is that we trust the the living Savior today. And we think of how the stone was ruled away, that two-ton or more stone that was actually shifted. People say that the disciples came to do it, overcame Roman guards, and then were able to uh, roll the stone away. It was absolutely impossible. But God could do it. And God did it. Up from the grave he arose with a mighty triumph o'er his foes. Oh, what Uh, evidence we have of the resurrection. Not only is there the prophetic evidence and the practical evidence, but we could say that it is proven evidence. You think of what it says in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 6 to 8. Paul speaks about the eyewitnesses. He says, After that he was seen of about 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present. That's what I'm telling you. They, they were there. They, they were still alive when Paul was writing this. So they could have contradicted. People could have said, oh, no, there wasn't 500 witnesses. There were no witnesses. 
People could have, this, this writing of Paul's went around the churches. It was read in every place and it became part of the word of God. And those people had every opportunity to say, no, that wasn't what had happened. But they didn't say that's not what happened. Richard Bockham, now retired professor of New Testament at the University of St. Andrews, has demonstrated that just as modern history uh, writing identifies its sources by footnotes and by bibliographies, the Gospels identify the sources by giving the names of the people. And you can see how that the Word of God gives the names of the people that the Lord Jesus Christ met. You think of how it says in Mark 16 and 7, Simon Peter saw the Lord. In Mark 3, verses 13 and 19, the 12 disciples. In chapter 5, verse 22, Jairus saw him. Chapter 10, verse 46, Bartimaeus saw him. In 15, verse 21, Simon, Alexander, and Rufus saw him. In 16, uh, verse 1, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James the younger, and of Joseph and Salome saw him. And in chapter 15, verse 43, Joseph of Arimathea saw him. They give the names. They give the details. This is not just something that is made up. If, if you were going to make something up, you'd give some vague kind of details. But here is the very details, the names, in the form that people would prove what they are saying in the day. The proof is given, and the details are given, and the people are there, and there are no inconsistencies. I know that people try and get inconsistencies between the writings, but here is this consistent story that is told, and there are different emphases, and that gives uh, cause to realize that this is authentic. There are different details that are brought out. Not every one of the gospel writers brings out the same details. This, this is the truth, men and women. This is what the word, of, the word of God, Paul said, remember that he was risen. It is truth. This is what they were depending upon in that day. This is what they laid down their lives for. This is what they went to prison for. This is what they went through all sorts of hardship for. That they may proclaim this message. That there's eternal life through the Lord Jesus Christ. But not only should we remember the evidence of the resurrection. But I want you to remember the enablement of the resurrection. What I want you to see is the fact of the uh, resurrection enabled the early church as they went out with the gospel message. We think of how uh, Paul, or Paul or Saul of Tarsus, as he was then, was going round down the road to Damascus, and he was a hater of Christians and a hater of Christ. And suddenly the risen Christ appears to him on the road in a blinding flash of light, and he is converted by the grace of God and he is now able to say, for to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. And what a remarkable difference was made. Now, you think of the remarkable difference that was made in the lives of the disciples, and the lives of these people. We think of them cowering in the upper room after the Lord Jesus Christ had been crucified. 
And yet when they saw the risen Christ, they are thrust out then to make known the gospel and to preach to the very people that they had been afraid of before. And they go out with the message and they are convinced of this message and they are there to bring a message of salvation to the lost. And we think of how later on they are brought before the very Sanhedrin, the very men, the very high priest who had condemned the Lord Jesus Christ and had uh, uh, conspired to bring the Lord Jesus Christ to the cross. And they had denied the Lord at that time. They were afraid. But now they're brought, and Peter and uh, John are forbidden to preach in the name of Jesus, but they are now willing to defy these men. And they say, we cannot but speak the things that we have seen and heard. What had happened? What had happened to those men? Something had happened to them. They were cowering behind closed doors. But now they are fearless to proclaim the message of the word of God. They are empowered by the Holy Spirit of God. And we notice they have power to struggle for Christ. We look at verses 3 and 4 of um, the portion of Scripture. He says, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. He says, no man that warreth entangle himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who has chosen him to be a soldier. And in order for him to endure hardness and for him to be a good soldier, what does he say in verse 8? Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead. And here he is and he's in the battle and he's in the fight and there's a warfare that goes on. There is a spiritual warfare. We wrestle not against flesh and blood but against angels and principalities and powers. And we need strength, and we need to be able to endure hardness. And the only way that we can do that is if there is the reality of God's salvation, if we are depending upon the precious word of God. And we think of how we have a victorious captain today. We thank God for the one who died on the cross and came up from that grave with a mighty victory. And Paul was willing to lay down his life for the sake of the resurrection. And we thank God that he wasn't willing to die for a lie. He wasn't willing to. He couldn't have gone through all the shipwrecks and the beatings and the imprisonment. And now, as he's writing this, he's facing death. And all he had to do was repudiate what he had been saying. But Paul will not deny his Lord. He will not deny his Savior. He would not deny the eternal life that was in his heart. Dear friend, there's the reality of God's salvation. Not only was there enablement to struggle, but there's enablement to strive. Look at verse 5. He says, if, any, if a man also strive for mastery, yet he is not crowned, except he strive lawfully. And here's Paul switching the picture to the boxing arena and to the uh, athletic course. And he's saying, we run. He says, I therefore so run in 1 Corinthians 9. And he says, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air. And there he says, I bring my body, I bring under my body and bring it into subjection. And the thought here is of rigorous training. And he's wanting to be hardened and to be toughened. 
and to go out and bring the message of the Lord Jesus Christ. And there were many battles to be faced, but Paul was willing to face them all because he served a risen Savior. I wonder tonight, do you know that Savior? Are you willing to go through all the hardships and difficulties? Are you willing to serve the Lord with all of your heart and soul and mind and strength? Are you willing uh, to know the blessed Redeemer, the, the one who really died on the cross and shed his precious blood that you might be redeemed? I present you to my Savior tonight. Remember the resurrection. He, he died but up from the grave he arose. He shed his blood that we might be cleansed, but up from the grave he arose. We are down in the very pit of sin, but thank God that he's one who lifts us from that horrible pit and from the miry clay, and he sets our feet upon the rock and establishes our going. So we remember the, uh, uh, the uh, resurrection here, but there's one more thing that I want you to see, and that is that we remember the encouragement of the resurrection. We think of the disciples here, and they go out to proclaim the message of the resurrection. Notice how the text goes on. He says in verse 8, Remember that Jesus Christ, of the seed of David, was raised from the dead according to my gospel. And then he says, Wherein I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even unto bonds, but the word of God is not bound. And Paul is saying, the reason that I endure these bonds and the reason why I'm facing a martyr's death is because he remembered that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead. And you'll notice what Paul says about himself there in verse 9. He says that in the course of preaching the gospel, that he was accused of being an evildoer. The world misrepresented him. And the world will misrepresent the people of God. They will misrepresent us as unloving. They will misrepresent us as being some kind of dinosaurs that were living in the past. And you know, the world will come, and that's always been the case. Paul said it was true in his day. As Paul went out to preach the gospel, we, we read that they were saying he was an evildoer. We are coming into a day in which the world is saying of the child of God, we're immoral. We have, uh, we have immoral attitudes. We are those that uh, are dinosaurs. But dear friend, tonight, don't think about the world. It doesn't matter what the world thinks. Well, it matters to some degree. But at the end of the day, the only thing that really matters is what God thinks about you. You see, Paul was worried about what the Lord thought about him. He, he wanted to serve his God. He wanted, he says, wherein I suffer bonds as an evildoer, but the word of God is not bound. And it was for the word of God. It was for the truth of God, because Paul believed in the truth of God, and so do I. This word is truth. You know, the Bible stands like a rock undaunted mid the raging storms of time. There have been many people down through the ages that have sought to undermine this book. I think of the authors that set out to write a, a thesis trying to deal with the uh, 
and thought what they thought were the inconsistencies in the Bible and ended up writing a book to defend the Bible. Because as they looked at all of these things, they could see that all that they had been taught was uh, so much nonsense. And dear friend, this Bible is the truth of God. And this Bible tells me about a Savior. And that's what Paul is speaking about here. The Savior that has risen is the Savior that died on the cross. And why did he die on the cross? He died on that cross and he shed his blood because there needed to be a way of salvation for men and for women. We are born in sin and shapen in iniquity. But the Lord Jesus Christ came to be our Redeemer and our substitute. And he was, uh, he was wounded for our transgressions. And he was bruised for our iniquities. And he bore our sin in his own body in the tree. And he took our punishment. And he paid the price of our sin. And on the cross he cried that cry, Tetelestai, it is finished, or paid in full. And dear friend, he's paid the price of sin. And he's paid the price of redemption. And now all that you have to do is to take the uh, salvation that he offers. You don't need to work for it. You don't need to go through ceremonies for it. You don't need to uh, do good works for it. It is offered without money and without price. What do you do with a gift? The Lord speaks about the gift of God, which is eternal life. What do you do with a gift? You don't pay somebody for it. You don't offer to work for it. You just receive it. And the Bible says, to as many as receive him, to them give he the power to become the sons of God. And dear friend, all you need to do is receive eternal life. Receive the blessed Redeemer. And dear friend, that's the, Paul was encouraging Timothy to go out and preach the gospel. He, he, he was concerned in case young, young Timothy was a timid individual. And he was sort of concerned in the midst of all of this persecution that Timothy would not go out, that he would be afraid to go out. But he says, remember the resurrection. Remember what Christ has done for you. Remember that he has gone to the cross and he has given himself and you give yourself to him. And child of God, that's what we need to do. We need to give ourselves to him. But if you're not saved in this meeting, then dear friend, what you need to do is to come to him and receive his salvation. You need to come to the cross. Oh, what a wonderful thing that there is salvation. There's life, the Bible says, for a look at the crucified one. There is life at this moment for thee. He says, look unto me, all ye ends of the earth, for I am God, and beside me there is none else. The resurrection is real. It's a fact. And if the Savior was able to conquer death, and he did, then, dear friend, you'd be very foolish to reject him. He's the one who brings eternal life. He's the only one who can give eternal life. But as eter there is eternal life for those that trust in him. And that's the message. 
and the encouragement of the gospel tonight. Will you come? Will you trust him? Will you call upon him for salvation and for mercy this evening? Let's just bow, please, in a word of prayer. Our loving God and our gracious Father, we do thank thee for the precious word of God tonight. We thank, Lord, of Paul trying to encourage young Timothy not to give up in the preaching of the gospel. And, Lord, how he directed him to the resurrection. Lord, he uh, treated it as a fact. And, Lord, we thank that it's a dead-on fact that our Savior has risen from the dead. Lord, we think of uh, the remarkable uh, transformation that took place in the apostles and the disciples. We think of the remarkable spread of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, not by sword, not, not by uh, violence, but by the very force of truth. No, oh God, we think of that as unique in the history of the world. Lord, we recognize that something really happened, something really took place that these people really believed in. And our Father, we thank Thee for the truth of God's precious word. Lord, help men and women to see the truth and the truth that there is eternal life in the Lord Jesus Christ. Bless thy word, write it upon hearts. For Jesus' sake, amen. If God has spoken to you tonight, then we'd love to point you to the Lord Jesus Christ, but don't go away without the Savior tonight. We're going to sing the last hymn there on the uh, board, uh, the hymn 135, the veil is rent, lo, Jesus stands before the throne of grace, the clouds of incense from his hand fill all that glorious place. Now, the veil was that, that um, thick cloud or thick, thick um, curtain that barred men from the very presence of God. But on the cross, when Jesus died on the cross, that uh, thick curtain was rent from the top to the bottom. It means that we men have entrance, but by the blood, by the blood. You can't come to God except your sins have been covered in the blood, unless you've been washed in the blood of the Lamb. But you can have your sins washed away if you'll come to him tonight. The hymn 135, The veil is rent, lo, Jesus stands before the throne of grace.
we enter within the holiest by the new and living way which hath been consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. And we come upon the grounds of the sprinkled blood, and we thank thee we can enter there because of the sacrifice of Christ. Lord, we recognize as the only way to enter. We only can come upon the grounds and merits of the precious blood that has cleansed us from all sin. And we pray, Lord, that thou hast caused men and women to recognize their sin. And Lord, come to thee for that cleansing. We're glad that our Savior is risen. We can say that Christ the Lord is risen today. Hallelujah. And, O God, we pray that thou wouldst bless us now and in the incoming days. We pray that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship and communion of the Holy Spirit may rest and abide with thy people both now and in the incoming days. For Jesus' sake, amen. Amen.